Welcome to episode 31. Today I'm talking to Dr. Simon Jones, Principal of the London College of Creative Media. Simon is a senior HE leader with more than 25 years academic experience in the university sector. He has led complex change agendas based around financial drivers, governance and TEF-related learner provision. He's also a former professor and dean of the Faculty of Business and Law, leads Beckett University and the Guildhall School of Business and Law in the London Metropolitan University. We talk about leadership, university admissions, how COVID's had such an impact and personal branding. Please enjoy the episode and thanks for being a fab listener. Support me by subscribing and telling your friends. Welcome to the Johnny Ross Audio Experience. I'm Johnny Ross, founder and digital marketing strategist of Fleet Marketing. Each podcast, I'll be bringing you an expert to inspire you, to give you some great business growth takeaways, and to get you thinking about marketing and the bigger picture of how businesses can improve, adapt, and grow. I look forward to sharing this with you on each podcast. So here we go. Hello and welcome to another live q and I'm Johnny Ross. Uh, today I've got with me Dr. Simon Jones. Uh, not seen Simon for ages. So, uh, miss him not being, miss you not being in Leeds, Simon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it's been three and a half years, I think, since I left Leeds. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, the, the, the open strings are quite tight. I do miss the place, truly. We we miss you, um, and, uh, and and in fact we were just catching up earlier. There's there's talk you may be back, so uh, let's watch that space, and we might get into that as well. So Dr. Simon Jones is a principal at Lon- um, London College of Creative Media, and um, I mean you've got you know a huge string of uh, to your bow of uh, universities. You've got over twenty five years experience in universities, um, and just just tell us. You started by doing a, a geography degree uh, that was in London. Yeah, and I, then... I did a geography degree. Then I went to Hull and I did a marine biology masters and I did a PhD in planning. Um, I only touched base with Leeds at that point during my PhD, where I, I came to uh, well, what was the brewery at the time, Tetley's, to fail my um, civil service fast stream exam. Uh, I just remember the heat of the day and the oppression of the smell of hops in the room. But otherwise, Leeds was just not something you went to as a Hull student. Um, paradoxically, of course, when living in Hull, it it had, Leeds had become so fashionable that that's, that was a go-to weekend destination for students in the surrounding area. So uh, it was it was kind of quite a turnaround, I suppose. And now uh, I'm in London, and yeah, I'm I'm principal of a, of a college, uh, university college. As well as the other thing there, Johnny, is coming from South Wales, where I set up geography at the University of Glamorgan, as was. I then segued into business and law, which I was the pro dean of business and law at uh, Leeds Beckett. And now to be a principal at a contemporary music college, which is pop music, anything that isn't orchestral. So I I rub shoulders with um, the sort of uh, the glitterati of Top of the Pops, which is very strange. It's it's quite a, a broad... Broad thing. Ultimately, though, um, I know how universities work because I've worked in management and policy procedure for such a long time in addition to teaching. So the mechanics of how to make a university college system operate is, I guess, where my specialisms lie. Well, along with your commercial experience and commercial edge, yeah. which is which is with businesses as well. I mean, that's how uh, I got to know you. Uh, yeah. You were you were doing uh, talks to local businesses in Yorkshire, um, and um, you know you've got a, a huge wealth of knowledge in leadership. So um, I think the two marry well together. Um, just to welcome everyone, by the way, we are uh, live on Facebook right now. We're live on LinkedIn. Uh, this will also be streamed on YouTube. And if you're listening to us, welcome. So uh, on the podcast, it's great to have you here. If you are with us live right now and you've got questions, uh, please do ask in the comments. They will come through, and I will try and. Uh, ask Simon, um, but um, yeah, just uh, enjoy and uh, and if you've got comments or questions, please do ask. So, um, just tell me more about the uh, the current role that you're in. And well, in yeah. fact, I mean, you're having a, a a bit of a nightmare with you know. I'm guessing, and, and just from the conversation we've had, COVID, like it's hit 
uh, all of us in every aspect, um, the news is clearly uh, talking a lot about universities as well. Um, what What's going on uh, for you and students and, and unis right now? I'll start broad and I'll, I'll come to us. I think quietly, COVID universities is a success story. It, it's tricky, but I think after a year of this, near enough, um, I think it's fair to claim that technology at universities was was there for what we are currently experiencing, which is uh, the, what we would still call a blended learning approach. It's not fully online because we have had unlocking and there is opportunity perhaps during the summer that we will get back to some form of face-to-face, -face. but the genie is certainly out of the bottle. The national lockdown in March meant that we, as a sector, had perhaps two weeks. And by two weeks, timetables are running, Zoom, Teams meetings, etc., were starting. And really, universities have been able to offer the right teaching to students um, where, I mean, an awful lot of the experiences are, are currently shelved. But the challenge, uh, I suppose, is now how do we unlock? And with the genie out of the bottle that actually you can teach online and then how, how do we adapt for our staff who've got caring and children responsibilities? Um, can we really insist on everybody being at their desk effectively nine to five? We've got far higher productivity at the moment but of course that's because as i tell my staff and they certainly tell me we're not working from home we are living at work mm. so the sector in the first instance for the majority of students terrific pivot go online what's come out of that over the last year though is those peripheral and marginal uh, opportunities digital poverty is very very real you hear it on the news about school children um, it's certainly the same for adults as well in, in the university sector. And I think the next tranche of challenge for universities is overcoming that. Um, it can be as peculiar as a university I know down in the south where they've bought bicycles, a suite of Boris bikes effectively, to enable safe type travel in COVID environments to get to and from campus. As much as a university in the Midlands I know where every first year student is provided with at least a basic uh, networkable laptop so that you you start to overcome the digital poverty i think the longer it goes on then certainly colleges like mine are going to be extremely challenged because how do you give a musician an audience and how do you test them in that environment if you can't actually sing and perform and so on and of course then it's going to bite um it's really interesting looking at the world economic forum report that came out in education this week um, looking at ai big data organization and project management, nothing of music, culture, and the arts. So how do I retain relevance for the next intake of students? And that there will be an economy out there, but you've just got to be brave enough to know that it's coming. So that's been the last year in a nutshell. Um, actually closing the college, closing my campus was easy. The trick is always going to be, how do you open it again afterwards and safely? You mentioned then in the uh, global report the, that uh, culture and arts was sort of left out. I, I mean, that's 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 so typical, is it not? Uh, and um, uh, how do you how do you break those those barriers? What uh, I assume that must be part of one of the things you're trying to do all the time. Because there is a parliamentary review into creative arts and uh, the leverage of of monies at the moment. Um, so you can log on, see the Hansard reports about the fund streaming for Spotify and all the other music platforms. How much does um, an established artist get? How much does a new artist get? And, you know, in that respect, uh, what opportunity for new artists to break into the market? How do you make your money? Uh, if you're not known, it can't be by selling merchandise. So how then? And, and this, is, this is something which on a global stage is being played out. Um, but certainly at Westminster at the moment, it's being discussed. Um, I do think that there's, there's hope. Um, most people would tell you that music arts is what's keeping them going. And we've seen real innovation in that. The, the Facebook live streaming and other platforms that give concerts. Um, <laughs> I was certainly up at two in the morning watching a favorite band of mine on Friday night. Um, and if you think, when Glastonbury was cancelled this year, I mean, I, I knew that it would be cancelled because my tutors, my teachers, all of whom play at Glastonbury, were not booked before Christmas. So they delayed the, um, the booking deadlines and, and the announcement as far as they could. 
but isn't going to happen. And yet Glastonbury is just one of over a thousand festivals taking place in the UK, all of which are not running this year. I think the the thirst for that come 2022 is going to be enormous, whether it's cancer-run festivals, pride and LGBT events, or commercial festivals such as Leeds, Glastonbury, etc. So I, I think I can offer some hope to my students, but the gap in the middle is do I have them in London face-to-face -face teaching? What market opportunity is there for me to go online and teach them without perhaps ever having come to my campus? Or come to the campus for a week, come play with the toys, and then with that learning, go back again. So I've got a, a set of students who I must look after and deliver a teaching learning experience that they were expecting, but there are new markets and new opportunities. So perhaps I can compete more effectively on a UK, European, even global scale now than ever I was able to before. And COVID in higher education terms really has set this cat among the pigeons. We can... We're going to be talking uh, about uh, leadership. We're also going to be talking about you've got your one of your uh, close friends is the deputy vice at Trinity uh, in Leeds, and and uh, uh, and 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 that could be uh, of interest, um, especially for you. Uh, and um, but what we're, but what we're also um, what I also wanted to talk about whilst we're on it is um, the it, I assume there must be a, a drop in international students right now, uh, and and how you see uh does does that affect us being in as in the uk uh and how and and where does that take us question because yeah we haven't mentioned brexit had we um yes there is a potential cliff edge um one of the one of the things we must know here ucas so people going to university there's a ucas deadline in the beginning of january which will give a, a baseline data for what's going on in the industry uh, that happened just on the 29th they delayed it by a fortnight this year so we know that there are more people applying to go to university, but that um, European applications are down. And the reason that they are down is that no longer can European students rely on student loan company funding to support their studies. Uh, in my college, that challenge is about a quarter of my students are European students. So we've got to backfill and make up that loss. Um, I suspect, though, that there is opportunity here. So rather than, I don't necessarily want to get too far into Brexit, but one of the things is that the European organization of higher education means that ordinarily a bachelor's degree is four years in Europe and a master's is two years. Now, Britain got dispensation because traditionally we've offered three-year bachelor's and one-year master's. It's perfectly feasible to go for an accelerated degree so instead of having these big summer gaps, you teach through those gaps. And so it's straightforward to deliver a degree in two years. Now, the competitive advantage of saying, I'll give you a two-year degree, if you're, say, in Germany or France, Netherlands, a two-year degree instead of a four-year degree, I'll teach it via blended learning, so you can be online, but led at home, come visitors for face-to-face, -face, touch base, and then, the, the economies of scale start really to fluctuate because you're not having to pay for residential accommodation and the like. You can work from home, etc. This is one of those challenges that I think people are slowly starting to wake up to, that there could be, in, in certain subject areas, real competitive advantage. And for me, in performing arts, in, in pop music, it, it, as you would say, huge advantage. Um, I mean, this is yet to be realised. It's not something I've asked you yet, and, and, and I need to. How's it gone from geography to business and law to performing <laughs> to, to pop music? Back to leadership, which we'll come on to. Um, so I was lucky enough, I really was lucky, I suppose, to arrive at the University of Glamorgan to an idea that they could put on geography. And so with a, a, a disparate team that was already there, one or two appointments after me, uh, I, I led a an institutional initiative to put geography on. And we, we connected with our surveyors, with the geologists, with the sociologists, and we've created a school of geography. But all of that requires you to fill out the forms, to get stuff validated, to play by the rules, and actually invent something within the, within the, the framework that, that operated. Consequently, I got used to the validation events. I, I learned how to develop degree courses, and they were getting really good feedback. So I could do that. So I got swept into quality assurance um, in universities. And from there, I went to work with the Quality Assurance Agency, government organization for looking after quality. 
um, demonstrating that I could do quality and I knew how to put courses together that ran properly, um, I jumped ship. I became a quality assurance manager at University of Wales. And because that took me then into international, give you a little snippet about that in a moment, did I get bounced then into Leeds Beckett or Leeds Met as it was at the time as the associate dean and then the pro dean for business and law? Because there's a couple of weird and wonderful things. One in four and a half students in the UK is a business student. Wow. Okay. In its broadest sense, one in, one in four and a half. And one in five students in the UK higher education system is taught through transnational education arrangements. So 20% of UK undergraduates are not in the UK, but they're in Africa, the Middle East, the Far East. And so somewhere like Leeds Beckett, most all universities have an extensive uh, set of arrangements with colleges internationally delivering degrees. So you can go to Shanghai and you can study a Leeds Beckett degree, for example. Um, I mean, there is a cheeky thought that as this, this whole thing evolves, should I send my son to do engineering in somewhere like Shanghai, exposure to language, different culture, comes out with the same degree and then hits Europe saying, well, I've got pretty good connections, rudimentary Mandarin, and a degree from University of X, which going to that Midlands metropolitan urban center, I would have had anyway. Um, and the costs are probably cheaper. It's it's a it's a weird and wonderful, unpredictable world at the moment. Yeah, I can I, I, I can see a, a huge reason why you do that. But Brexit, where we started, uh, Brexit, uh, yeah, they're significant, I, of course, I, I, but I was, there is so much more out there globally. I was actually thinking the beer drop. Uh, my my initial thought was because of COVID, actually, uh, and so a uh, huge drop in in international numbers. Before you answer that, though, um, Adam Hoskers asked asked a question. Um, <laughs> He uh, he he'd say he'd love to hear Simon's take on how emerging artists can use digital and social to build an audience through the remainder of the crisis. What would you be, what would be your thoughts on that? Thanks for the question. It's something that he and I both mull over, though it's it's a while since we've we've shared a, a conversation. Um, what am I doing at the moment? I'm I think there are three strands to that answer. The first is looking at the success that there's been in platforms like TikTok, everybody knows a sea shanty all of a sudden, in making your product as accessible as possible. So the first is, is I'm, I'm talking to my students about what does the current economy look like? Can you exploit a platform? How can you raise profile? Um, if all you're gonna do is declare yourself a Spotify channel and hope that people find you, that's not gonna be enough. Mm. Second thing then, is pushing hard on production values. You can be as creative as you like, but status quo mastered three chords, and that was 50 years ago. So we're talking to students about practice, practice, practice. You've got so much time at home to perfect that bit of you that you really need to, you, you know, you, you will always be a better guitar player for more rehearsal time. So that's an element. And I think the third element is actually to understand your naivete and that within our college, for example, help is available. So where is the marketing? Where are the production values? What is the, the leveraging on intellectual property rights? Because for new talent particularly, they're often committed to their art, but quite naive as to the, 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 the sharks in the sea of culture. Um, Remind them of this, you know, the main man music was the, the first manager that signed Bowie about 65, 66, took 5% net forever. And so tight was that contract, Bowie could never release himself from it for all his largesse. Um, it, in my time, I suppose it was Bross who, who signed a catastrophic contract. It was did huge. They, they, had they, some good, huge. they had some good songs. But they did a world tour where they paid everybody off the gross income, not the net income, which bankrupted them. Right. It's a famous book. And so Adam is going to be concerned with his students in contemporary music, as I am mine, that you don't fall into that elephant trap. So even if you are successful, it doesn't cost you your career. So at the moment, we are, we are talking very much about how you platform, how you protect your property rights, and how you leverage, if you can, and all of that has to be on the basis of some quality musicianship. But, you know, take that away from, from musicianship, knowing your stuff. You've got time so, to read, time to study, time to learn. 
So, so, so uh, one of the things I'm hearing there is take opportunity, but at the same time, be very cautious about what you end up not forward thinking about. Measure twice, cut once. Yeah. And if you can't measure it, go and talk to somebody that's doing some measuring as well. That's part, that's part of what this, this conversation's about, Johnny. It's, it's, um, I mean, universities are odd because they're quite protective of their intellectual property rights, but they're always willing to talk to stakeholders, be they students or businesses or other universities about what they're going through and sharing the good stuff, sharing the solution. Yeah. I, and and just on a point, I mean, you know, marketing is is what I do, uh, and so the question sort of taps into uh, in, into into what I think. Um, and uh, you know, there was there's this uh, uh, parish council Zoom going round at the moment uh, that just looks looks truly awful. But I've seen uh, a, a, a music artist that has turned it into a. Um, uh, some music and you know he's he's gone viral and so some of it is is just about being agile and and, and being there t- timing being creative and, oh. and 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 going and just putting yourself out there the, the the flippancy is feels like a normal meeting um the, the thing is with that though as viral as it is um it's that difficult second album the guy won't make any money out of it and if if that's all that they can do that's all that they can do. Um, if they can take it by way of a sample or a clip, they can build it into the sort of stuff that they're doing anyway. It's got more longevity. And and actually, that that's a balance, isn't it? You know, it would be terrible if my talented students turned into one-hit wonders. Yeah. You know, and, and not you know, it's a funny old industry because not everybody wants to be on stage. Not everybody wants to be the name. Um, here, you know, a, a nasty statistic from last year's Glastonbury, which is not a reflection on them, it's the music industry, it's a reflection of, they just about got 50-50 on the performers on stage. But all the industry that sits behind that, from from marketing to, to the guy that plugs in the guitar on stage into the speaker, it was around about 90% men, 10% women. So one of the major pushes, if, if COVID has given us any time to stop and to think, for me it's how do we push hard women in music and the equality ticket for us is about that gender balance because of course the music industry has always been hugely accommodating of all shades of life all shades of politics but actually currently we've got a real problem with gender balance so that's where a lot of which you know i'm, I'm talking with with the, the 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 women in my college as to the opportunities and how you position yourself rather more than than worried that we are not number one on the TikTok list just at the moment. Yeah. And and that and that is it are you seeing gender balance what more so in music or it's just across the board in unis and and and, and <laughs> well I think the thing is with with data analytics which has sort of hit business over the last decade ask me the question and I'll find out the answer that you want. So if I go if I go back to the very beginning of my my lecturing career which was geography and specifically physical geography. Um, it was around about 80, 20 male, female. When I, I left, said, lecturing, I yeah, when I left lecturing, uh, and, and left Morgan, you know, 10, 12 years ago, that had balanced out to around about 60, 40 women. Now at the moment, my, my college, it's the, the balance is absolutely 50, 50. What I'm finding really not interesting, more frustrating actually is, Many of many of the female students are coming in wanting to sing, so they play a big, they they play guitar to a good standard because guitar and keyboard is an audition and musicianship then, but they're very much aligned to singing. And a lot of guys are coming in with music technician production or management ambitions. And so, how do we, with my school's a music group officer in, it's particularly in the boroughs of London and, and further afield. How do you promote the idea that this is, actually is a a useful, complex service industry. Your skill sets will be hugely valued as a producer, as a promoter, as a manager. It's not just the X factor and going out there and singing. The, the, the music industry is a bigger and broader industry than that. So that's kind of the drumbeat that we're, we're pushing. But it, it depends. It depends where you go. The government does measure this through the Higher Education Statistics Agency. You can pull all sorts of rabid statistics out of this, which will, which will show you the, the middle-class dividend, the, uh, 
the natural advantage to being white, not black or minority ethnic. Um, and it, it spits out these, these sorts of elements which show that working class lads going to university are the, the most challenged and the least successful of all. That actually tips at my heartstrings because I am that kid from working class background, first of my family to go to university, screwed my A-levels up completely, was given an opportunity through clearing, ended up at a polytechnic in London, and I've not actually left university sector since. But it it sits with me how I sort of fell into higher education by luck as much. Just I just got it completely wrong. But then my, my family had no social capital in this at all. Didn't know how to advise me for A-levels, didn't know how to advise me through UCAS and uh, the polytechnic system, PCAS at the time. Um, so I, I suppose, it, though I sit atop the tree at the moment as principal, I'm, I'm fiercely agitating that the application system should be smooth, that the product we offer should be obvious, that what you're buying as a student should be absolutely transparent and understood. And of course, the, 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 th the push out at the end of that is, what might I do as a job? What is the career? What is the industry out there? Because we cannot just be a sausage factory to occupy somebody for three years, 30 grand worth of debt, whatever, move on. Well, Especially if, they, if they're going to turn into a, a chart-topping success. <laughs> we want a piece of that. We did that to them. There's, there's a whole movement for uh, traineeships and, and apprenticeships and, mm. and, and experience. Yeah. What's if you're, you know, maybe you've got children that are, are 16, 17, maybe, maybe you are uh, 16, 17 and you're looking to make some decisions. What, what's your take on experience versus qualification? And what are, what do you find organizations are, are looking for? Uh, and, uh, and, and how would you weigh that up? Because I know that your history is that you've been an admissions tutor as well. You've got very clear, uh, you know, I'm sure you could help uh, people understand uh, personal statements, how to write them, what to put in them, all sorts of different stuff. Um, so I'm sort of tap, tapping into that as well, really. Huge question. Um, on a personal basis, Johnny, I've got two nephews, one of whom has graduated a, an apprenticeship in aircraft engineering, now works for GEC, and his younger brother has gone off to be an apprentice in the car industry. Um, my daughter is thinking of medicine, and that's what she's pursuing at the moment. And I'm delighted to say that my 15-year-old son has no ambition at all. Now, that sounds paradoxical, but, you know, from the age of dot, did I want to join the Royal Air Force? And I did when I was 18. Then classed militarily unfit because of asthma, and out I went, uh, knowing then nothing of any ambition for careers at all. So the idea that apprenticeships, this, this great Cameron movement to tax companies to provide funding that would generate an apprenticeship uh, system in the UK, such as we envy from Germany, is only a good thing. My, my nephew has got a degree. He's got four years of direct industry experience. But I think he's an extremely employable person. I, I think that industries buy into this far outstrips higher education. Edu higher education has, has had to sort of work very hard to catch up to be either the educator or the assessor, the provider. Um, and, and slowly it's getting there. And then, of course, COVID has really rather stopped so much of this because apprenticeships were, were the obvious place where, well, go study, but there isn't an industry to, to house you anymore. I think it will come back, um, but it will come back in a selected way, much like COVID has done. I work a lot with the Institute of Couriers, um, and, and they, they are looking after the last mile delivery. So the logistics side of getting your parcel across country is one thing, but then how do you actually s service that need? And boy, you know, I, I can see now my, my Alexa device is flashing yellow, so somebody's delivered something today, or nothing's been delivered but the guy is so used to being here he's just checked in to check that everything's okay <laughs> now that industry is looking i mean I, I i hear somewhere in the in the system that um amazon is looking for another five thousand employed in that delivery sector it's industry controlled it's got an apprenticeship last mile delivery has an apprenticeship fantastic if that's the way look i mean go back to i'm, I'm waffling a bit go back to blair blair in 97, pushed that 
in England, not in Wales, because we're devolved, England, 18 to 35 year olds, there should be approximately 45% of people going to university. And so the, the push was to widen that access. But if university is that beneficial, why stop at 50%? Why is it mm. not more and more? Why should it not be even 100% if it's yeah. an ambitious aim? So that you've got apprenticeships which provide a different and an affordable way of accessing higher education, fantastic. Really, I mean, I, I look as a, again, as principal, I look, are there apprenticeships that I can usefully adapt and adopt at the moment? I'm struggling a wee bit because I can't compete with major sort of business schools at universities doing MBAs and other such things. But you keep a watch on them. You mentioned, you know, in, in Leeds, Leeds Trinity has a fantastic reputation because, of course, they were born from that teacher training i don't speak for each trinity it's just something i know from from being in the city for for a while that you know from teacher training which is almost a quasi apprenticeship postgraduate anyway um they're making great strides in in upping the accessibility uh, when i was at london metropolitan university doing similarly working with people in the city on couriers on translation and and uh, other services on banking services because it seemed that if your workforce is educated to a higher education standard, that has to be a good thing. But not everybody can necessarily afford it in the way that it's structured at the moment. So, yeah, big thumbs up for apprenticeships, especially when what we can now offer as well is blended learning, learning from home. I think one of the next big things, Johnny, is bite-sized learning. Why not spend your six weeks of summer holidays doing two modules? And, you know, over that time, you can. it's a bit like taking on the Open University and beating it at its own game. But to come out with a with a smaller qualification than a degree, or maybe two or three that build up to a degree style or a postgraduate style is, is some of where we're going at the moment. Well, whilst we're there um, with regard to admissions, what would be the top tips for a personal statement? Yeah, it's a funny place to start that, um, because not all universities read personal statements. If you are in a Russell group, you look at something like English at Cambridge, 80% or 80 people apply for one place in English. Um, your personal statement will be read. <laughs> They've got to say, but you know, if you, if you want to go and do, um, if you want to go and do psychology at University of Poppleton, then if it's a widening access institution, if it's a post 92 or former polytechnic, chances are in your local town that the, the personal statement isn't going to be as important as your A-level grades and your desire to come and study locally. It's part of the mix. So when writing a personal statement, um, you've got five or six choices on your UCAS form. So you have to write in general terms, but it's always good to write about where your interest came from, how you've pursued it. And it's not just, you know, if, if your interest is in geography, let's be safe. Um, you know, you, you just to say I did geography GCSE and now I'm doing geography A-level, isn't really enough of an interest to say why you want to do geography. Capture that passion. And also, yeah. where's your ambition going after that? That can help too. You know, if, if, I'm, if I was reading a, a, a form these days and a student is telling me in their personal statement that they desperately, desperately, desperately want to be a weatherman on telly or a weather girl on telly, that's fine. But you can't do it doing a geography degree. Better to go and do meteorology or physics and Oh, you've not done a maths A level, so you're not going to be <laughs> that weather presenter working with the Met Office. Um, so it's it's important then to understand this sort of the basic totem of admissions. If reading the personal statement, you can demonstrate that you're the right person to do the right degree at the right life stage, then we've got something to talk about. If it's coming in on a whim or something a little less solid than that, if your personal statement can't can convinced by way of conviction you're struggling but i think there's also something key to remember here ucas underwent an enormous revolution over several years so these days you apply and the deadline's just gone for the first tranche you are now in the process of open days and making your choices your firm and your insurance choice but at the death and particularly in a, in a covid situation where circumstances can radically change in an in a, a week, UCAS will still provide you with the opportunity, even after your grades, to withdraw from your commitment, to find somewhere else, to discuss with the, that admissions team if there's a place, 
and to move. So you're not, it's not like being on a roller coaster anymore where you can only get off at the end. There is always a process now where even if you've committed, you can change your mind. And most universities, I think, would prefer you go to university first and to come to us would be ideal. But there is sensible advice as to how the UCAS system operates so that it's always client-led. It's always yeah. at the student's interests are at heart. And that comes to now. What do I tell my daughter now? Does she, you know, she's 17, she's 18 next week. Does she go to university this year? Does she not bother applying? Does she apply but defer? Or does she apply and then just wait and let's see what October looks like before deciding if you're going to do anything at all? And these are, I suppose, are the choices that many teenagers currently have. And there is that little thing of A-levels and how the heck is that going to work in the middle of all that? And, and actually taking a, a, a year out right now is, is not even favourable because there's not much you can do. So, you know, there's not, uh, yeah. there's not much to weigh it up against at the moment. Um, um, you're, yeah. you're, you're, I want to get into, into your leadership experience. Uh, and, um, you know, you've worked in state universities, in uh, privately owned. Uh, you have a huge wealth of knowledge. I mean, of course, universities are, are, are government-regulated, very complex organisations. Um, what? How have you um, managed change? How have you uh, been involved in leadership? And 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 all of those skills are transferable into business as well. What, so I'm wondering what tips you might have for uh, for for other leaders uh, to consider, and and some of the the things that you've found in the in the past. Something struck me the other day listening to a lecture from the uh, the officer in charge of the Battle of Britain Memorial flight. Now, you know, as an officer in the Royal Air Force, leadership all over his shoulders and the scrambled egg on the peak of his hat. But he said his his first leadership role was when he was eight and a sixer in the Cubs. And that did make me smile because I had that similar experience and I'm sure many of us do. Um, and then of course, we, we all have experience of being led or being managed. And so I think if I'm to proselytize at all, a lot of my experience and my style is not doing what's been done to me in the past. Um, so, heavens above if you were to have my colleagues on the line what would they tell you um i measure twice i cut once as much as i can i'm consultative i don't operate a cabal i ask everybody so where there is general strategic uh direction to take decisions to be made um for me it's always in one of two camps that i'm informing you of the decision the decision i'm making you're not part of that decision-making process, but you're informed. And in being informed, because we are then going to have to implement this, you've got to say. If I've got the time and I've got the ability, then it's slightly different, of course, that this is a decision I'm going to have to make. I need your voice now so as to help me make that decision. So I try to run a really flat structure. I try to keep everybody informed as they can be. Now, some of the tricks to that, <clears throat> particularly in COVID times, are running town hall meetings. And I regularly run these once a month. Um, I do a session like this with all my students and anybody can come and they do, and they can say what the heck they like. There can't be a topic that's off the table. If for a commercial reason, I can't tell you, I will tell you that we can't discuss that because it's commercially sensitive. But actually at the moment, particularly, it's about emotion. It's, um, how do you make somebody feel? Do you make them feel valued or do you dismiss them? Are you able, even if even if their idea is left field and is disruptive, to let them have their say? So I, I suppose in the first instance, for me, it's transparency, that people must know what you're doing to them and why. Because if you've got them on board, life is an awful lot easier, especially with distance learning and working from home at the moment. Because militancy comes from something that you can't see, you know, you've no idea the pressure that they're under, not just at home, but within their, their broader family circumstances. Um, I think the second element at the moment for me is about compassion, therefore. Um, I'm known for using the phrase that we're living at work, not living at home, I'm working from home, I'm living at work. The I watched on the weekend, my team had an open day uh, on 
Saturday. And at 11.30, they were still discussing on a WhatsApp group, ideas bouncing off each other. They're missing the social side of being face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What the heck are you doing at 11.30 at night, effectively working on ideas for the company? So to, to have some compassion and to be aware as an individual, but also as a group think what people are doing. I would also offer that thirdly, I probably should be looking after myself better. Now that's not self-indulgent, but if if I'm if I'm trying to make decisions or trying to work with people and I'm I've got family pecking at my head, I'm not in the best posi- position to to make decisions. So I think it's to have a little bit of courage to let people know who and where you are at as well. And in in fact that's that's in my environment, my, my main office, um, I have Colombians and Ukrainians, I have Spanish and Russians and Greeks, I have uh, somebody from South Africa, somebody from Ghana, I have a couple of English people, and of course, me, and I'm Welsh. <laughs> the point is that actual family cultural norms and levels of privacy and what people are, uh, are willing to give of themselves is different in every culture. And in that multicultural way, simply because I am saying, as I said at the top of this answer, I'm transparent and I'm open and I try to be inclusive. That's lovely. But there's no way necessarily that that matches others' cultural norms. So to have a little bit of time and space to think about individuals and not push too hard, be aware that productivity is there, be output driven. And then the bottom line, let me give you a summary. Uh, I'm paid to make decisions, so I will make them. And though I've heard you, I don't work in a democracy. Um, It's my responsibility. You'll get the credit. And beyond that, we're spinning plates, Johnny. Beyond that, it's whether you've actually, you can, you can carry the, 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 the mood, whether you, you portray a convincing uh, leader. But I will, I will offer this as well, as I do everywhere when I was pro-dean and then dean of business and law. Personally, and it is very personal, I don't think that leadership can be taught. I think management can be taught, but innately, you're either leadership, potential or you're not and that bit of self-awareness i think is is crucial if 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 you're not naturally seen or you're not naturally able to lead be aware be aware where you're in a sharp pit that's a that's a a, a really interesting point uh and uh yeah i can i can uh, relate to that um we, we must talk about your style your mm. um <laughs> you're certainly eccentric and um you've got some well i think and uh, and you've got some some great styles i mean you know the, even the picture that we used for the for for this today uh you've you're wearing a, a pith helmet uh was it the baleo i can't pronounce it baleo oh, yeah. yeah. pattern almost it's a bulawayo pattern pith helmet and Bulawayo. that photograph was taken by uh, a colleague when i was working in zambia what what where's this come from what what you know you, you mentioned the RAF a few times we've got the planes behind you i know you're oh, very much i know you're very much into it in fact com, in fact for people that are watching do you mind giving a, a quick tour like you did earlier sure. for me okay so so these are these are just historic aircraft identification cards from the second world war um i like planes you can see just up there there's some airfix models still hanging from the ceiling and it goes all the way around this is my cabin my office okay so it's my it's my space. Let's say to Johnny that I'm basically I know I'm 14 years old, but I've got a credit card, um, <laughs> ethics model and paint. I'll buy that. Where does it come from? Um, okay, so uh, uh, yeah, all right. Then, then let's go deep and personal. I said to the old man, my dad, bless him, that I would love to be somebody thought of as contemplative and thoughtful and quiet. <laughs> And he sort of smiled and said, yeah, that's all right, but that's not how we brought you up. So the sins of the father are visited upon the son. Um, I look at my parenting of my kids and uh, I expect them to get up, get dressed, get downstairs and breakfast. I expect them, if I speak to them, to stand up and speak to me. And if any of the audience you know, was introduced to my, my son or daughter, you, you stand up straight, you look the person in the eye and you answer the question and be prepared to ask a question back. So in a way, uh, there's that bit of it. I'm sure some of it is genetic. Uh, you give me a microphone in an audience, and uh, that's lecturing, by the way. You know, I mean, 
most lecturing is infotainment, is a performance in education. So uh, to have the confidence that speaking publicly, one's pulse rate goes down. And you, I know in Leeds, you know, in Yorkshire Mafia events and others, you, you know that I'm extremely comfortable in front of hundreds of people talking. Um, but then there is, I suppose, the other bit, which was that having had a mop of curly hair from, uh, from way back when, there was no haircut that ever suited. Um, having had very wide feet, there was a choice of brown or black shoes from Clark's. Thanks very much. So by the time you get to sort of 51 as I am now and find that you can control your hair with a little bit of hair wax and that you can get your shoes made for you and I'm in the position to play. Um, if I offered my father's advice, I'll offer my mother's. She said, from, from about the age of five or six, you were in your late 40s and you, you've just grown into it as you've grown up. <laughs> So, yeah, um, Leeds. Leeds is a cloth town. Leeds was, I would go and frequent uh, Crombie and buy an overcoat or two. And I like hats. And I found that I could tie a bow tie. And I found actually that people, you know, the old adage that it doesn't, it's not what you say, it's how you make people feel about what you said. So such was the same, swanning in and out, wearing a bow tie or a Homburg or a nice overcoat uh, and walking through town. Um, and it was a nice distraction because <laughs> um, family living in Cardiff, I'm living in Leeds and commuting. Uh, my evening may be spent talking to somebody about a silk handkerchief or buying one off an antique or an eBay site. Um, and it just became a distraction and fun. And it, it became a new hobby. Now, what does that have to do with the price of fish? Um, the other element of it is that from a university point of view, leads an experience of that um i was known and i'm not i don't think i'm known just for being gobby and overconfident i mean you know talk talk to me for an evening you'll find that out but it's having the the, the awareness that this is branding and if to be honest leeds metropolitan leeds beckett's business and law faculty is the biggest in the uk uh six and a half thousand students when i was there um, if somebody says, do you know Simon from Leeds Beckett? And they know because they know me. And it's because because they bumped into me at an event where I was the idiot wearing a bow tie or the one striding through town wearing a, a fez or a, a pith helmet. It's self-branding. Mm. And if you've got the confidence to sustain that, and it's a bit of authenticity. It's not total pretense. I do have, I, I enjoy it. It's good fun. Well, you, um, you you like you like your classic cars as well, don't you? And you know, I've, I've often seen pictures, uh, and and so it is. If from from my point of view, it, I, it looks very authentic. Well, I'd, I'd love to afford a two hundred thousand pound Porsche Speedster from the nineteen fifties. As it is, I have a replica, and then I get sucked into saying, "But it's got a Porsche engine in it. It sounds authentic." But <laughs> it's, it's a bit flim flam. Um, my wife cringes when we drive around because people will toot the horns and wave and flash lights and point and. The, the attention for her is just too much. Me, boop, boop, I'm perfectly happy with that. But it, it's yeah. and and now hell's teeth. I find myself, of course, in the in the creative music's industry, and I, yeah, I mean, it, I, I'll, I'll let you know that I I might have met Emma Bunton recently, <laughs> and I didn't know who she was, and <laughs> she looked at me stupid when she explained who she was. But that's okay. She now knows who I am. She knows me even if I didn't know her. This happens a lot where, where you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not up with what's happening in the music youth scene. I have people that advise me on that. So I, I, I play up to the tweed and the bow tie and the, 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 the old dullard. And it, it, it's genuinely, it's empowering of my staff. Oh, God, they're going to have to tell me what I'm supposed to be thinking again now. And it's a kind of game that I, that I play. So it's, and, it's and not... It's not put you off wearing any of this bit uh, to to be in the pop music side of things. You've played no. on it more. <laughs> You've played on it more. I like it. Yeah, like well, it. it's it's self branding, isn't it? And and yeah. because uh, and personal because branding, I'm a specialist. You know that that's the thing. Personal branding is so important, and I talk about that on a, a, a daily basis, really. Um, it's been brilliant talking to you, Simon. Uh, we've come to the end of our time. It's uh, It's been really good, and it's been brilliant to just catch up with you. Uh, I, I miss our conversations. Um, and, um, and and you wanted to um, – you, you wanted to just um, 
mentioned Leeds Trinity a tiny bit more whilst, whilst there's quite a Yorkshire audience oh, here. I'm going to fly a flag for a friend of mine, actually. Um, when I was at Leeds Beckett, had tremendous fun there. Um, Malcolm Todd was uh, head of psychology there. Uh, he and I left roughly the same time, Leeds. He's found a way back. He's currently interim, um, the deputy vice chancellor of Leeds Trinity. And um, I think my shout out to Malcolm is, of the three universities, of course, it's the one with potential for huge growth. We've got a new vice chancellor. It's being captured. Uh, Malcolm is very busy there. But in terms of the business connections of Leeds and region, um, he's somebody really worth looking up. Got tremendous experience in the city, but also then in, in working with uh, young people in both apprenticeships and the direction of, of travel that you can make at universities. And he's he's back and he's new to the city, in effect, in a different role, very significant and influencing role. So go and look up Leeds Trinity and go and look up Malcolm Todd and tell him I said I sent you. Uh, he'll probably thank you for it. But I, I just think it's it's well worthwhile. And um, just talking with him, the, the potential to come back and see how he's doing and, and revisit the city would be a welcome one. In the meantime, look, my website and my email is there. And um, if you need to and want to find me, ask me a question, propel a chat, whether it's about the music industry or universities or even just your son or daughter and the challenges they're facing. Um, drop me a line. More than happy to pick this up. I, I was about to say, well, you say the website's there, but I'm not seeing it. Just tell, tell me what the uh, website is. So, well, it's LCCM. Oh, that is there. I apologize. My, my email is, is very simple there it's in the it's in the chat yeah i'll put it into the uh public chat uh so that everyone's got it yeah if you could uh, yeah that's great so so i was about to say if people do want to uh uh get hold of you uh what's the best way so we're just about to share your email address and the email is fine. Well, i'm there email i mean i've got a popular name i'm easily found email is fine linkedin is fine and, and thanks you you got me we've got the uh the website there as well uh it's been as i said brilliant catching up thank you so much uh thank you everyone for listening please watch out for a, another live q a q a it's been great to have you here whether you've been watching or listening i should say uh and uh and simon we can't wait to see you back in leeds uh some point uh and uh and and also just a lastly a big shout out you've had your vaccination jab uh haven't you and you your yes. your you had COVID, unfortunately, but you've recovered. Uh, Thank you. I would have taken socks, but my wife gave me COVID for Christmas instead. <laughs> and uh, yes, we, uh, we, we've both been jabbed recently. But I guess your message is go and get the jab. Oh, I do to, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Get vaccinated and, and then go home and stay locked down, which is what we've done. It'll, it'll, it'll happen that it's going to unlock. But uh, it, it was a very, it was a profoundly emotional thing getting the inoculation. Um, I found it very strange and it's provoked out there among friends real interest. What, why you now and why now? Well, because if I get COVID proper with asthma and the age and I'm, I might die. So I got done early before my mother indeed. She was <laughs> really? You're fit and healthy, mum. It was your rubbish genes that means I got it jabbed first. But yeah, it's, it's a sore arm and worth it, I, I feel, for a couple of days. On that note, we will leave you and we will see you all soon. Take care. You've been listening to the Johnny Ross Audio Experience. Thanks so much for joining me. If you want to continue the conversation, head over to my website, fleek.marketing, or find me on LinkedIn. That's all for today. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, tag me in your social media posts, and please leave me a review on iTunes. It will make a huge difference for me. I will see you soon.